uh, have some have some time with his family. Um, Pastor John, hope you're having a great time if you're watching. All right, so I want to open with this question: Where are the good Samaritans? Where are the good Samaritans? We're in the midst of a it's it's three sets of ten, so it's thirty weeks that we're going to take throughout this whole year, but we're doing them sets of ten through the top beliefs, practices, and virtues of Christianity. And the whole goal of this, of the Believe book and the Believe campaign that we're doing this whole year, is we're seeking to think, act, and be more like Jesus. That's the goal. Think, act, and be more like Jesus. This first part is what we believe as Christians, so thinking. And this week's key belief is compassion. Compassion. Kind of like last week's topic of humanity. It might seem a little confusing as why this is a actual a foundational belief it seems like it should be maybe an action right like this is something we do uh, or a virtue something we are um, rather than in the belief section but just like with last week's topic really what we're talking about again is this root belief that produces the a fruit in in the life of the christian in the life of the believer and you can't just here's the thing about these core beliefs is you can't just will this fruit into action like it's not something you can just say oh i'm gonna i have to force myself we don't just become more compassionate by trying harder it actually i believe begins with an understanding of how god sees and treats humanity last week right how god and sees treat uh, sees and treats humanity and then we take it a step further to what we believe is then our responsibility in light of that truth all right so it's a belief that informs my actions. And there's an interaction that Jesus has with the religious leader in which Jesus makes it very clear what our responsibility is when it comes to compassion. And it's from a very well-known story, well-known passage. Even people who haven't grown up in church, they know it. Uh, they've heard this story before, at least some form of the story. It's called the Good Samaritan. How many of you heard of the Good Samaritan before? I think everybody's like, yeah, we've heard that before. Luke Chapter 10, verse 25 through 37 is where we're going to be. And we're going to actually start out reading the whole passage, and then we're going to talk about it. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. It will also be up on the screen as we read. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. This is Jesus. Put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How, how do you read it? And he answered, Well, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Great job, right? You did it. Do this, and you will live. But he, this is the lawyer, but he desiring to justify himself, continues the conversation. He says to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replies, and here he, Jesus is going to come, he's like, okay, you want an I know you want a short answer. I'm going to give you a long answer. This is what Jesus does. So Jesus replies, verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, 
when he came to the place and saw him pass by the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he bound up his wound, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Then he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an end, and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Jesus asked. And he said, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for, for uh, the power and the life that comes from your word, Lord, your scripture. And I pray that you are with us now, that you um, speak to us. You reveal our hearts to us. You put the mirror in front of us, God. As we look at this well-known story, Father. Well-known for a reason. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This well-known story has given us that term, Good Samaritan. We even have a law based on being a Good Samaritan, right? You've heard of the Good Samaritan law. What makes this story so well-known, so beloved by people? It's such, a, it's such a powerful story. And I think one of the reasons is because I think people, whether they would like to admit it or not, would love to attain to this kind of virtue, right? It's something that they, they read this story and they say, God, I wish I could be like that. And, and it, has the ele- it has all the elements of a great story. It's a great setup. It's got tension in the story. It's got a twist at the end. It's a satisfying confu- conclusion, all just within a few verses. And it's a story that gives us a perfect illustration of our key idea this, this week. It'll be up on the screen. Here's our key idea. I believe God calls all Christians to show compassion to people in need. That is a core belief of Christianity. And this is a tough one. This is a tough one. Uh, the first few, uh, um, the first few uh, messages in this series, it's kind of easy to get around because they're they're kind of in your mind, like whether you believe there is a God or God has a purpose and plan for our life. Those things are are easy to kind of get behind because you can kind of keep them in your mind. Keep them there. I'm not saying they don't elicit action, but you could could kind of take it and say, yeah, I believe that, and not really have to do anything about it besides believe. And here we are in this second set of beliefs in our belief series. And I remember I told you, we're kind of moving from vertical to horizontal beliefs, like beliefs that that relate to how we relate to other people and and what we believe about others and our relationship to others based on our beliefs about God. And this is really starting to get into that idea. Jesus is speaking to this lawyer, a religious lawyer. That sounds kind of weird, right? Like when we think of lawyer, we think of somebody who works at a law firm or anything like that. But these were religious lawyers who knew the law, okay? Like that was their job. He knew the Jewish law. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all that stuff, all those different laws. He was an expert in the law. And Luke lets us in on his motives. He doesn't really want to know how to inherit eternal life. He actually just wants to test Jesus. Like, that's his point. He's like, he, he's asking this question not because he, that's what he really is desiring. He wants to know the answer to. He, he thinks he already knows the answer to this, by the way. He's, he's doing this so he can test 
Jesus. And when Jesus gives them this answer, the, first, the very first answer, the answer that this lawyer knows, he knows that, he begins with a, then he continues with a different motivation. So the man, and I'm going to put this up on the screen, here's his, here's his motivation. The man wanted to justify his action. There it is. The trap that he's fallen in, that we all fall in as well. Uh, if we're honest, I think we, we fall in this as well. To justify the way we're interpreting a passage or to justify our beliefs, to justify the way we're living. He says, okay, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor as, my, as myself. But, but here, I'm going to qualify that. Who is my neighbor? Surely there are people out there that are not counted as my neighbors, correct? Like there's people I can leave out of this category like, what is the least I have to do in order to meet this qualification of loving my neighbor? That's kind of his goal here. He's, he's seeking to justify himself. I don't know if you've done that before, right? It's like, well, God, I know I'm supposed to do this, but I, here's why I'm acting a different way. Because, you know, there's something else going on here that you don't really understand. And, you know, where I'm going to interpret this a little bit differently because my situation's different, right? I, I have a different situation. So... That rule doesn't necessarily apply to me, or, or I can figure out my, kind of a loophole through here. And then he tells this story. And in this story, I want to point out three basic attitudes about life and about compassion. And they are the attitudes you and I choose every day when we're confronted with an opportunity to help someone, when we're confronted with uh, an opportunity to meet somebody's needs. When the need for compassion is right in front of us, we can, we can respond by asking one of three questions. And the number, one, the number one question is this, the first one. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? This is the lawyer's attitude. What must I do to get eternal life? Not what can I do to make this world a better place or... What can I do to honor God? Or what can I do to fulfill the law? Or what can I do to serve the Lord? How, what can I do to live a righteous life or to live a holy life? What, what can I do to please God? No. What, can I, what do I have to do to get something? What do I have to do in order to get eternal life? What's in it for me? What's the, the minimum qualifications in order to get eternal life? Uh, is it just like raising my hand and walking down an aisle and saying a prayer and that's it? Like, is that all I have to do? Because if that's all I have to do, that's great. I can do that. Then I can go on my merry way. Now, it's not a bad thing, I don't think, to want eternal life, like to desire that. I think that's a, that's a good desire. It's a good question. But if that's all we want, like if that's all our faith is, if that's all we end up with, you're going to live the kind of life God doesn't want you to live. You're going to miss out on a whole lot. This religious lawyer is trying to trick Jesus. Because here's the thing. This lawyer would be the one who would decide that, that question in such cases as this. So, if you know, there would be cases. People would bring cases to the lawyers and the, the people who worked in the temple and all those things. And he would be the type of person to say, you know, uh, in a criminal case or in a lawsuit, he would be the one to interpret the Jewish law with expert authority. And he would be the one to determine who somebody's neighbor is. So, you know, somebody may come to him and they may try and justify breaking one part of the law, let's say stealing or 
murdering or something like that based on the premise that, well, the person I stole from, that's not really my neighbor. They don't count. You know, they, they, they weren't my neighbor. So this law-breaking action, I wasn't actually breaking the law, and so the lawbreaker gets justified, right? It's like he justifies his actions. In fact, the vast majority of Jews only viewed other Jews as their neighbors. Like, those, those are the people. You want me to love my neighbor? It's my people. That's who my neighbor is. Anybody else outside of that group, they don't really count as my neighbor. And many other Jewish people, especially the elites, the, the Pharisees, they only viewed esteemed Jews as their neighbor. So it was like, well, yeah, those other kind of lowly Jews are not don't really count. It's the people who are in my social circle, the people who are in uh, on my level. So this religious scholar could be, you know, we, we don't know, but he could be looking to justify maybe a ruling he's done or thinking about, he could be thinking about past lawsuits or criminal cases or whatever that he's been a part of. It was very easy to pick and choose who he thought might be worthy of love and compassion. He probably had no problem showing his family or his, his fellow Jews, his friends, others who were like him, no problem showing them compassion. But th- here's the problem is that the kind of compassion that asks what's in it for me isn't really compassion. It's, it's well, let me, sc- I'll scratch your back if you can scratch my back. Right? It's, I'll do this as long as I get something in return. It's a contract, really. You, you make a contract with someone. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve you here, but I expect for you to, be, for, for, to get something else also. I, I expect to get something in return. You ever see yourself asking that? What's in it for me? I do. And, and I think, you know, if we're honest, it's like, okay, yeah, there are some times where I fall into that category. And, and if there are, you know, it's, it, it, it's one of those things where we say, man, I, just, I need to maybe repent of that or I need to think about this a little bit more. The second attitude that's expressed by the, is, is expressed by the religious professionals in the story, uh, the Levite and the priest. And it's this not my problem number one you can fa- you can ask the question what's in it for me when you meet somebody who, who who's in need who you need to help the number two attitude that you see a lot is well it's just not my problem this is a growing attitude in our society apathy right apathy you might not hurt somebody but would you help them Right? I wouldn't actively go against someone, but would you, would you try and help them along? If there was nothing in it for you, it meant you had to go out of your way, would you help? Sometimes I think that's true of, of a lot of us in my life, but other times it's actually proved wrong in my own life because of the inconvenience that I face when trying to help someone. A priest, the most holy of Jews, walks right by him. And a priest might actually have some good excuses for not being neighborly. But by, according to the law, he wasn't supposed to defile himself by having contact with the dead, right? And this guy, he, he looks kind of dead, so maybe he's like, I'm not going to go over there. I'm not going to risk this. Uh, I might, you know, what if I stop? I might be attacked too. What point would that prove? That wouldn't do any good. Or worse yet, he might get his robe dirty, right? The point is, is that the most holy of all Jews, a priest, did not think this man worthy of his time. He passes right by him. And next you have a Levite, 
a temple assistant. Kind of, you, you know, you might equate it to like an altar boy, like somebody who's serving in the church and, you know, who's, who's involved in, in, in what's going on in the, in the service. He's the priest's right-hand man. And if you thought, well, maybe the priest has a reason. He, he's busy. He's going to do work of the ministry, right? Like he's got he's to get to church. He's got to serve people. He's got to make sure and read the law in the temple. He's got maybe a reason to, to avoid this guy. It makes, it's, it's a pretty hard case for the, te- for the temple assistant, the Levite. Uh, really, it's just probably his own apathy. And the whole point of this is that there's these two really good, quote, Jews that walk on by their fellow countrymen, their, Jew, their fellow Jews, who would be considered a neighbor, right? He would be considered a neighbor because for whatever reason, this guy's not worthy of their compassion. They didn't want to be inconvenienced. They, they, they ignore him. They pass by the other side, trying not to make eye contact, right? This is not my problem. I don't want to get involved. <laughs> Have you ever passed by someone in need because you deemed them not worthy of, of it? And here's what I mean by that. Well, well, he's not worthy of compassion because he spent all his money on, on gambling or on liquor, and he deserves to be where he's at. Well, she's not worthy because, you know what, she got pregnant at 16. That was her decision. And uh, she deserves to be overworked and underpaid because she made a bad decision in her life. Or, or he's not worthy because, because he wasted all of his money on, on frivolous things and, and he deserves to be homeless. But he actually wants to be there, right? Like that's, that's where they want to be, so, so they're not worthy of that. Or maybe it's, well, I'm just, I have a lot going on in my life. Like I'm I'm late. For work, I don't know how to help. I, I might get caught up in something that is like, okay, do I really want to, to, to get sucked into this, right? There's, there's that possibility. Do I really want to get dirty here? Oh, you know what? This is, this is not my problem. And you keep going. And the priest and the Levite who passed by the man in Jesus' story, they were religious men. They're probably very conscientious, conscientious of their service to God, at least on a, on a professional level. But here's the tragedy of their story is that their religion stayed professional. Their service to God stayed professional. They performed their professional religious duties, but they didn't apply their spiritual knowledge to a real need that was right in front of them. And we, I, I believe we can fall into that same trap very easily. They were off to do important things for the church. Maybe he was going to preach. Maybe he was going to lead a Bible study. Maybe he was, uh, I'm going to my small group or, you know, I'm, I'm doing this thing. I'm going to, to, I'm going to serve other people at this ministry, the, this service project that I'm doing. I don't have time to stop. But they missed a divine appointment that God had placed there for them. And finally, the third attitude, we have the Samaritan, the hero of the story. And his attitude is this, what can I do to help? So you, when you're faced with a need, you can, three, three attitudes typically, right? What's in it for me? Well, this is not my problem. Or you can be like the Samaritan and say, what can I do to help? Samaritans, many of you might know, were hated by Jews. They were... Uh, they were hated. They were considered to be half-breeds. That's what they called them. Descended from Jews who intermarried with Babylonians, 
during the Babylonian invasion and exile. So, you know, they, they uh, intermarried with these people who were not of their people. And then the Samaritans come out of this. And uh, the stories go that, you know, Jews would, would avoid contact with them. They wouldn't want to be in the same room as them or in the same area as them. The stories go that they often walk miles out of their way to avoid Samaritans. And Samaritans would probably do the same thing. They didn't like the Jews either. Like, it was kind of a mutual thing. And based on this, you know, you might expect. And then a Samaritan came by and, you know, poked at him a little bit to see if he was dead. And he wasn't. Well, he finished him off. Like, that's maybe what you would expect from this story, from what you would know about Samaritans and Jews. Not help him out, but finish the job. Yet, the Samaritan feels compassion. Our key idea. It says that. He says, he saw him and he felt compassion. The word compassion in the Greek is very vivid in the original language. It means to stir in the bowels. To stir in the bowels. You know, like when you go to Taco Bell, you eat at Taco Bell later that day. That's not what it means. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, it's like, it's, it's like how you might say he had a gut feeling. Like something was just like, ah. I need to stop. Like, I need to stop. He looked at him, and he felt something. You ever felt that before? Like, you've, you've enga- you're engaging with someone, maybe, and, and uh, you're talking with them, or, you're, or you see somebody, and it's just, it's, like, it's like just a little prompting. Like, it's like a stop. Like, wait. Wait a second. Maybe I need to do something here. There's no logical reason why the Samaritan would do this. You know, it doesn't say that, he, oh, this was, <laughs> he noticed, oh, I know this guy, right? I'm going to go help him. That's not what happened. There's no logical reason. He just, he just felt compassion. It's like he had a gut feeling, man, I need to help this guy. What's your policy when it goes to helping people like this? Like somebody you see encounter maybe on the side of the road or maybe you're, you're downtown or in a large city and you see people. What's your policy on that? Everybody kind of has a policy, I think, like kind of in their mind at least. Like this is my rule. Uh, do you help them? Are you, by helping them, are you actually hurting them and enabling them, right? I, I, I would debate myself, and I still probably do a little bit. It's like, debate. oh, man, I should, should I do something? What, what do I do? And what's the logical answer to this dilemma that we face when we see people in need? I found peace with this problem a few years ago when I realized there's really no logical, com- com- logical solution to this. It's not a well, I always have to help or I never have to help. There's no across-the-board black-and-white answer. You have to learn to follow your gut sometimes with these situations. Sometimes you have a gut feeling to help somebody. Other times maybe you're like, ah, I I shouldn't. It was the same whenever you go to, like, another country a lot of times. If you go on mission trips, you've done that before. There's a lot of people who are in need and who take advantage of people, especially Americans who are coming to visit and, and you know, uh, you see this and you have to kind of gauge it. You have to learn to trust your gut. And for Christians, especially, this you have to trust God's Holy Spirit. If you have a relationship with God and you're cultivating that relationship with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will prompt you. And you'll be able to, like, pray about it, like, fast, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever done that. Sometimes you can pray about something and get a, get a leaning from God pretty immediately. The word compassion literally means to suffer with. To suffer alongside of, to suffer with. Here's the thing. God is not calling you or I to fix everyone's problems. 
That is not what he's saying. And that's not what the point of this passage is. But what he is calling us to do is to come alongside people and enter into their suffering with them. Compassion is more about throwing time or money at a problem. And that should be freeing because it means that you don't have to have all the answers for someone. It it means you don't have to have a solution for someone all the time. You don't have to be guilty because you can't help everyone. All it means is, is you coming alongside someone, sometimes entering into their suffering with them. Here's the thing, and I'll go back to the beginning. Compassion towards others is really a response to how much we understand God's compassion towards us. Compassion towards others, the, the way we have compassion towards others, is a response to how much we understand God's compassion towards us. God himself entered into our lives. Jesus has compassion. He suffers for us, and he suffers with us. He comes alongside of us, right? We who are unworthy, like you talk about somebody who's unworthy, we are unworthy, but God chooses to not walk around and ignore us. But he sees us in our plight. He sees us in our sin. He sees us half dead, laying on the side of a road. And he enters into that with us. When we understand how much we needed help, just like the person. That's In the story, you could really equate us with the person on the side of the road. You could look at it that way. That's us. And Jesus is like the good Samaritan who comes and picks us up and puts us on his donkey and takes us in and pays for us to be taken care of and, and goes out of his way. You know, sin has worn us down. It's ridiculed us. It's beaten us. It's attacked us. And many of us lay helpless, vulnerable because of sin in our life, because sin that's been done towards us as well. And Jesus sees us. I love that, that the Samaritans, it says the Samaritans saw him and had compassion. And Jesus sees us, and he has compassion, and he acts on his compassion. And then we take our cue from him. Our key idea, going back to the, the key idea, God calls all Christians to show compassion to people in need. And that's because God shows compassion to those who are in need through Jesus. You know, people in this world, you, your friends, your family, your co-workers, people you know, have been attacked, have been beaten, have been taken advantage of by sin, by people in power, by, by evil people, by, by uh, you know, bad relationships, by addictions, by bad choices. And our call as Christians is to show compassion to all. I read something this week. It said, compassion is based on need, not on worth. Whether they're worthy of it or not, that doesn't matter. (laughs) They need compassion. People need compassion. Think about our sin. Jesus, that's not my problem. He could say that very easily. That That is your problem, Angelo. Your sin's your problem, not my problem. You did that. You're the one who did that. But Jesus takes it upon himself to enter 
into our brokenness and to suffer alongside of us and suffer instead of us, ultimately. And he makes our sin his problem. He makes our problem his burden. Even though he has no obligation to. Jesus follows up this story at the very end. He says, go and do the same. That's really the most important line in this entire passage. The story of the Good Samaritan. It's not just a nice story. It's a call to action for us as Christians. Jesus is saying to this religious expert, knowing what's right is not enough. You must do it. You must do what's right. You can't just know it in your head, believe it in your heart, and say it with your mouth. You have to prove it with your hands and your feet. You have to live it out. And at the end of his ministry, I'll tell you, Jesus talks about this. He actually makes this point later. He shows us that it matters what we do, not just what we believe. He actually shows us there's going to be a test to show we're really his followers. Did you know this? You've probably read it before. Jesus says, hey, there's going to be a, I'm, I'm going to show you how I'm going to prove at the end of time whether you were my follower or not. You ever wonder that? Oh, man, am I really a Christian? Am I really a follower of Jesus? Like, do I really believe this stuff? Well, Jesus says there's going to be a litmus test to show. Like at the end of time, there's going to be a way to show this. Here's how he's going to do it. It's up on the screen. It's in Matthew. When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, the one, the sheep, the ones who are his followers, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Here's why. Here's why you can come for. Anytime you read the word for, you can say, it's, this is why. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. All these people were in need, and you served them. And the righteous answer, uh, Jesus, we didn't see you hungry or feed you, or we were thirsty and gave you something to drink. When, when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in, person, in prison to go visit you? Verse 40, and the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Why? For I was hungry and you gave nothing to me to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. You didn't invite me in. I needed clothes. You did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They asked the same question. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or, or needing clothes or, or sick or in prison and did not help you? Because if I, Jesus, if I would have known that was you, <laughs> if this was you, I would have done it. Because guess what? You're worthy. These other people weren't. They weren't worthy of my time. wasn't my problem. But you are. 
truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of these least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life, right? That's how Jesus will know. That's going to be a test. If you had compassion and served the least of these. Now, it's not, it may not be something, you know, it may not be someone was thirsty or they were hungry or they were in prison or they needed clothes, but did, did you see somebody in their plight and just say, they're not worthy. That's not my problem. No compassion. They got that. They're in that themselves. They got themselves in that situation. I have no time for people like that. This is going to be a litmus test to see if you are a true follower of Jesus or not. They're sobering words. Very important, sobering words. Compassion is important. This is why this is a key belief. We're talking about it in the beliefs. Compassion says, I'm going to serve you because that's what Christ calls me to do. Even, I'm, I'm going to love you even if you don't deserve it because Jesus loves me even though I don't deserve it. I'm going to show you compassion even though you might not deserve it, you may not be worthy in my mind because I'm not worthy of compassion and Jesus shows me. That's the motivation and the power behind compassion. It's not something you could just will up. It comes from this belief and this heart knowledge knowing how much your sin has separated you from God, how much we have offended our Lord with our sin. How dead we are in our sin without the mercy and the grace of Christ. How big that gap is. That gap is eternal. Like, it's, it's so big we could never make up that gap. We, you know, if we're, if we're looking back at the story of the Good Samaritan, we're on the ground. We're dead. But we've gotten into that ourselves. Like, it's not, we weren't, it's not necessarily like we were a victim. Maybe we were a victim from something, but we also put ourselves there. Jesus looks at us and he sees he's, he has compassion on us and he picks us up and he brings us to life and he gives us new life and he gives us power over sin power over death eternal life you can't help everyone I know that you know that God knows that but you can help someone there's pe there are people in your life that God is appointing you to help. I believe that 100%. Yeah, maybe it's not everyone, but there are people in your life that God may be calling you to, to get inconvenienced just a little bit. You can feel compassion towards someone even if you don't know how to help them. Even if you can't solve the problem. You can enter into their suffering, though. You can come alongside them. You can be with them. You can love them. You can engage with them. You can... Maybe provide some relief from something. And maybe it's not relief monetarily or with food or with possessions. Maybe it's relief with, hey, we're going to help, help you kind of forget some of that for 30 minutes or for an hour while we go out to eat or while I bring you some coffee and we can just, we can go to a movie or we can, you know, have a book club, whatever you want to do. God, th there's no black and white, but there are people in your life that God is calling you have compassion for. I do 100% believe that. I heard a good quote. I'm going to throw this up on the screen. Get off your donkey and do something. 
<laughs> it took me a minute to to really get this, but um, be like the Good Samaritan. He got off his donkey and he helped. So that's my encouragement to you today. As we're thinking about compassion, get off your donkey and do something. Who is that? Lance is going to come up and we're going to sing as we end here. And um, I want you to think about that. That's the call today. Who is it? Who's maybe one person? Ask God to reveal one person maybe in your life. Who's somebody that I could show compassion to in a real way that maybe I've been putting off? Maybe I've been saying, well, they're not worthy of it. Not really my problem. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. Who might that be? Who's God bringing to your mind right now? Let's pray. God, we um, are so grateful for your compassion and your mercy and your grace towards us. We are not worthy. We do not deserve it. But you have chosen in your great love for us to show us compassion. And you put it to work. You did something about it. It wasn't just feeling bad for us. But you came. You sent Jesus. He lived. He died. And he rose again. He entered into our suffering. He entered into our problem. And he made it his problem. So God, I pray that you bring those people to our mind now. Maybe it's this week. They're going to come into our lives. Help us to, to remember your compassion towards us and let our compassion towards others be a response to that. Not something we have to will, not something we have to force ourselves to do, God, but a natural outflowing of the love, mercy, grace, and compassion we've felt from you, we've experienced from you. We love you, God. We thank you for this time. Thank you for your love and compassion for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand with us. We're going to sing.